tuned to Perspectives, a weekly public affairs show which airs every Monday right here on KTEP. Good afternoon, I'm Luis Sainz, your host for Perspectives, and joining us today is Sergio Tronposo. Sergio is the author of the book, The Last Tortilla and Other Stories, and Sergio, it's a pleasure to be with you, and welcome back home. Well, thanks for inviting me. I always feel at home in El Paso, in and, Isleta in particular. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, because for people who may wonder, okay, who is Sergio Tronposo if they're not into the literary works of some of the most recent Southwestern literature, if you want to call it Chicano literature, you have an interesting story to tell us a little bit about your growing up here and then, of course, how you went on to become a writer. Let's start, first of all, with you growing up in Isleta. Tell us about that. Well, both my parents are from Chihuahua. My mother's from Chihuahua and my father's from Juarez. And they moved to Isleta when Isleta was actually still a separate city. It was Isleta, Texas. And it wasn't even a suburb. When I was growing up in Isleta on San Lorenzo Street, which is where they still are and now where I'm staying Every time I come to El Paso, San Lorenzo didn't have any, it wasn't paved. In fact, we didn't even have drenaje. <laughs> we didn't have drainage. We had kerosene lamps and stoves when we first built our house. So it was a little rough, but it was, for a kid, it was fun. You know, it was a lot of fun playing in the, in the canal behind my house in Isleta, you know, looking for cangrejos, looking for frogs and snakes. So it was sort of a little bit of the wilderness. Now it's just a little suburb and it's become developed. But I remember as a kid, one of the things we did in grade school is we had to dig these huge trenches, and we would play, not thinking that <laughs> some of them might collapse and kill us, but but we were pretty intrepid as children. And that's know. one of the things that, in reading a little bit of your bio, the fact that you stated that when you came home from school, the first thing you did was do your chores, oh, and yeah. there were a lot of chores. Well, my parents, they're the old school. They're always wanted us to learn discipline and responsibility. And they were tough. They were tough on us. They still are. But when we would come back from school, it wasn't just hang around and do nothing. It was we had to take the weeds out from the backyard. We would go outside and even clean up the canal behind our house, <laughs> you know, which didn't have anything to do with our property. But my parents didn't want the stuff back there. My mother, when we first moved to Isleta, she was up on the roof, building the roof with my father, and we had to join in when we came home from school. So it was a world of work. We were always working on something. Then bringing truckloads of bricks and a cemento or sheetrock from different stores to build our additions to our house, to finish parts of the house. We would finish one part, we would live in that, and then we would work on the other part. You also said in your bio that all this work kept you out of trouble. Did it really keep you out of trouble, or what did you learn from all this? I, mean, I think I learned that I mean, you know, as a kid, I complained a lot. <laughs> as a kid, I said, oh, yo no quiero trabajar, ya estoy cansado. But I think what it taught me is that there's no such thing as being tired. There's no such thing as giving up. And my parents wouldn't hear of it. So I think it taught me the discipline and the focus to work very hard. And, it, you know, it was physical work, but there were a lot of other things that we had to do that required planning, that required organization, and so I think it taught me all of those things. On our street, there were Calavera contra Barraca. Barraca was our side of the canal, and there were gang violence. 
And we didn't have time for any of that. My parents wouldn't hear that we would ever get involved in anything like that. And they kept us working. They kept us focused. So I think by the time I went to Harvard, working until I almost dropped every day till midnight, working Saturdays and Sundays, focusing on my school, that wasn't hard. I didn't really feel like I was sacrificing compared to how I had grown up, which was working hard in school and then coming home and working some more. It just taught me you had to have endurance. Now let's talk a little bit about your involvement in writing and your interest in writing. No, needless to say, a lot of us who grew up around this area, especially of Mexican heritage, we got a lot of storytelling, a lot of cuentos, a lot of stories passed on through our moms, dads, grandparents. And I would imagine that you got a little bit of the same. Did this inspire you to become a storyteller, a writer, or how did you first come across this? For me, there were two big influences within my family. My abuelito, Santiago R. Troncoso, on my father's side. And then my abuelita on my mother's side, Dolores Rivero. Santiago Troncoso was editor and publisher of El Dia in Juarez in the 20s and 30s. And even the El Paso Times had done profiles on him in the 70s. He was thrown in jail something like 60 times for writing against corruption in the Mexican government. So he had a very hard life as a journalist. And so I think he introduced me to words. And I knew him before he died. I knew him. I would spend a lot of time with him. And I remember when he was very old... He said, Sergio, don't become a journalist. It's such a horrible life. You'll suffer so much. And then on my abuelita's side, my abuelita grew up in outside of Chihuahua in a little place called El Charco, the puddle. It's a rancho in the middle of nowhere. And I would take my bicycle from Isleta on the weekends and go down Alameda. This was before the border highway was being finished. And I would spend a lot of weekends with my abuelita Lola, and she would tell me stories about growing up on the rancho, and the villistas would come in, and the carrancistas would come in, and the chaos that she lived through and, and what she had to do to survive. My parents told me that my abuelita had shot and killed two men who had attempted to rape her during this sort of social chaos. She would tell me you had to learn to fight whoever was there, whatever group was there, whether they were the villistas or the carrancistas, they would take control of the little town. And so you had to defend your rancho, and there was no such thing as calling 911. You had an escopeta. You hoped that you had a good aim and that nobody bothered you. So I think she taught me the sense of oral storytelling. She lived on San Antonio and Olive Street, right in front of the Consulado Mexicano. And so I would spend a lot of afternoons hearing these stories about Revolución Mexicana and what happened to her and different stories that happened to her brothers, some of whom were killed during the Revolution. And so I think I got these two influences, the oral storytelling from my abuelita and then the written word from my abuelito. And what about in school? Did somebody look at some of your work and say, Sergio, there's something here, perhaps you should follow this or take you under their wing? That's a really good point because I had great teachers in El Paso, South Loop School and at Isleta High School. And among the teachers that first helped me, at South Loop School, I had somebody like Joanna Newman, and also Lori Ryan. In fact, I think Lori Ryan now is at UTEP. And they were great teachers who focused me on writing. I remember Mrs. Newman helping me to work on my stories and the little assignments I had when I was in grade school. Probably the biggest influence that I had was a woman named Pearl Crouch. She was my journalism advisor at Isleta High School. And Mrs. Crouch 
God rest her soul, died many years ago of cancer. But the thing Mrs. Crouch taught me, that basically I could do whatever I wanted to do. She is the first person when I was a sophomore in high school. I'd never been to the very fancy neighborhoods of even El Paso. And she took me to San Francisco, sophomore year, to compete in writing competitions. Then she took me to uh, New York City, junior year, to compete in writing competitions. First time I'd ever been in New York City. And it was astonishing. And she had been there many times. And she took me to Sardi's after a Broadway show. We went to see Chorus Line. And for a little Chicanito from Isleta, it was just another world. And she told me, you are a good writer. You have the focus. You have the drive. You can do it. So she was the first person who showed me the world outside. And she was a lot like my abuelita, very tough. Anyone who knew Mrs. Crouch, she was a tough woman. She wasn't the kind of teacher who would coddle you. She was the kind of teacher who would push you. She wouldn't accept shoddy work. She wouldn't accept sort of a so-so job. She really pushed you to the point where you had to push back, where you had to improve yourself. And I think I learned a lot from Mrs. Crouch about that. Now, stepping out of comforts of your home, Isleta High School, you went on to Harvard. Mm -hmm. Was that difficult, and was that a big cultural shock? It was horrible (laughs) for the first week. When I went to Harvard, I really didn't know where it was. And as I drove in to Harvard Square in a taxi, I asked the taxi driver, where's Harvard? We're in the park. And Harvard was all around us. Harvard looks like a park, like if you're going into a park, but it's not. It's simply that's the way the university is. There are beautiful trees and bushes all around you, but that was a university. So the first week I was there, I pretty much cried. (laughs) I missed El Paso. I missed Isleta. It was culture shock. Suddenly in El Paso, where everyone spoke Spanish and where my parents spoke Spanish, and, you know, everyone, 60, 70% of the people, over 90% in Isleta, are Mexicanos. Now suddenly in my dorm, I'm the only one. Now suddenly in most classes, I'm the only one. So I think that was very shocking to me. But, you know, I adjusted. I focused on my schoolwork first, and then once I started getting comfortable with that, I started having fun. So by the time I was a junior, I was just cruising. Why did you choose Harvard? It was a little random. At the point when I was applying, it was either Stanford or Harvard. And people like Pearl Crouch, and also I had a a great counselor, Irma Sanchez from Isleta. She said, these are the best schools, Stanford, Harvard, and Yale. And those were my top choices. And I got into all of them, thank God. And I chose it because it was sort of a leap of faith. You know, I had heard stories that JFK had gone there, and that sort of was attractive, and Harvard, the name. But really, did I really know what kind of experience I would have? No, I really didn't. In fact, I almost went to Yale, because Yale accepted me first and gave me a lot of money, and then Harvard came through as well, and and so I just went to Harvard. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but once you were there in Harvard, as you mentioned in your bio, you poured yourself into your studies, and you also had a very tough mentor professor, not just there, but in in the rest of your studies. And it was not at that point that you decided to become a writer because you were pursuing something else. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really become a writer till pretty much after graduate school. Harvard, I think what happened to me was that suddenly I knew so little about my background, so little about Mexico. And, you know, it's shocking to realize that, you know, I lived about half a mile from the border. And really, I got taught so little about Mexican history, 
the Southwest, La Revolución Mexicana. And so I started focusing on that at Harvard. I, you know, I wanted to fill that gap. So I started focusing on Mexican history and Mexican economics, on history of Latin America. So I started taking a lot of different courses in that area. I wanted to find out where I belonged. And this was also a way to keep in touch with home. So at Harvard, I majored in government and also did a lot of economics. And there were several professors at Harvard who were terrific for me. But one of them was John Womack, who wrote probably the best history book on Latin America. It's called Zapata and the Mexican Revolution. He was terrific. And John Womack, if anyone who knows him, he was a Rhodes Scholar. He's a tenured Harvard professor. He's a brilliant guy. He's from Oklahoma. He walks around in cowboy boots. And he's the most unpretentious, humble person you could imagine. So this kind of southwestern sense this guy in, in cowboy boots who's a great professor walking around Harvard Square. You know, for me, it was like a guy from home. And took Mexican history courses with him. I took a seminar with him. And he wrote me some great recommendations for graduate school later. And I sent him the book. When The Last Tortilla came out, he said, oh, I love these stories. So it was good to hear. And, you know, he's not a fiction writer, but he said, you know, these are great stories. So it was good to hear from him that he enjoyed the book. Let's talk about the book, The Last Tortilla and Other Stories. Now, how did this come about? Well, you know, when I was going through Harvard and then I went to Yale as a grad student, I was always writing a lot of academic stuff. I was writing either philosophy papers when I was in grad school or Latin America papers when I was doing the transition from undergrad to grad school. And so I also started writing fiction. The first story I wrote, I wanted to write a, a story about my abuelita. And I wanted people to get to know her. She was at the end of her life. And I thought she had had such an influence in her world, in El Segundo Barrio, people who came to ask her for advice. I wanted people not to forget her, what kind of person and character that she had. So I wrote this story and sent it off to the Rio Grande Review here at UTEP, and they took it, and I was just shocked. And so I just kept writing. I would do my academic work, and I would write stories. And, and stories were a way for me to make sense of the philosophical questions that I was working on. Because after I did the undergraduate work in Latin America and Mexico, I started veering more into philosophy, questions of the self. Why do people choose right versus wrong or the reverse? And so I went to Mexico and, and read Octavio Paz and Garcia Marquez and some of these great Latin American writers, Vargas Llosa. They ask fundamental philosophical questions in their writing. And so I started trying to make sense of my philosophy through my fiction. And, you know, I, I could show my parents a paper on Aristotle that I had worked on, but they really wouldn't understand it unless they had had years and years of studying Aristotle. But I could show them a story about growing up in Isleta, my abuelita, or about some experiences that I had as a young boy that was trying to communicate the same philosophical point that I was trying to do in my academic papers, and they would understand the story. So for me, it was a way to bridge that gap between the philosophical work that I was doing, and sometimes still do. I still read a lot of philosophy and the way of communicating with my parents and other people who may not be philosophers or might not be interested in philosophy, but enjoy a good story. A lot of times, some authors will get boxed in because of their last name or because of the type of story they've written or the part of the country they come in. Louis L'Amour, you know, everybody says, 
Western, Tony Hillerman, Southwestern. With your book and being from the Southwest, do you think that you've been put into a category? Did you feel like you had to write these type of stories? Well, it happens. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that people do try to put you in a box. Personally, I fight against it. It was easy for me to write these stories because this is where I'm from. I'm from El Paso. I'm from Isleta. This is where I feel at home. You know, I wasn't trying to fit into a box. But then now later, the last tortilla did so well, people want me to keep doing the last tortilla. For the next book, and which is very different, people are expecting the same thing. So they put you in the box, especially to what you've done. And so I think all writers have to fight against that. Some of them maybe revel in being in the box, but my primary interest is almost always philosophical. I have questions to ask about how does a person face death, or how does a person make right or wrong choices? What's the moral choice here in this difficult situation? Why is a family important? And what happens when, for example, a mother dies? Somebody who might bring that family bond together, suddenly that bond is gone. How do you keep it up? Can you keep it up? So part of the philosophy gets me out of the box. But it's interesting. There are all sorts of people who try to put you in the box. Sometimes the Chicanos want you just to be writing about Chicano stuff. And sometimes the Anglos want you to write about it. And sometimes there's a little bit of both, a little bit of neither. I want to write good stories. I, I will probably always write stories about El Paso and Isleta because this is where I'm from. And I'm very proud to be from here. But I don't think that's the only thing I will write. I will also write other stories about being in New York being in the Northeast. And that has been a difficult adjustment for you as well, right? You've been in New York now for 10 years, you mentioned, and it's still getting hard. Well, I grew up around cattle farms and asaderos uh, and and isleta and drenajes and trenches and canals. And, you know, now I live on the Upper West Side in the middle of New York City, close to Lincoln Center and Columbia University. So I still feel, feel like a fish out of water. But I like the fact that it's very literary. I meet a lot of writers in New York, everyone from like Juno Diaz, who's a Dominican writer, people like Maria Hinojosa that I've met who live on the Upper West Side, who's a reporter. And, And so I like that aspect of it's very literary. You have a lot of writers. You have a lot of painters, sculptors. You know, you have a lot of people interested in philosophy. I like that part of it. I don't like that it's so far away from home. I don't like that there are not a lot of Chicanos around. And I miss Isleta a lot. In many ways, writing about it helps. Now tell us about the title. I decided on the title because I thought it was one of the more important stories in the book, although, you know, I had different favorites. But this particular story, The Last Tortilla, is about the Familia Marquez in El Paso, and they're struggling through the death of their mother and how are they going to keep the family together. And it's a little bit of a sad story, but it's how also Juanito who is the youngest of this family, who's dealing with the accidental death of his mother, how he tries to find his own place and not give up, and and really a different relationship to God, given that he now in many ways thinks God was vengeful and was angry toward him, in some ways took his mother away. And really not, not a lot of planning on putting the title other than it was that story. And the cover itself? Well, the cover is um, actually a friend of mine, Gabriel Gaitan. He's an artist who lives in El Paso. And when the University of Arizona Press wanted to buy my book, they were going to put something on the cover that some in-house artist would do. And I said I really wanted somebody from El Paso, a Mexicano from El Paso, to do the cover. These stories are mostly about El Paso, and I wanted somebody to have a shot at it. 
And if I could facilitate that, I would. So I got four different artists, one from Juarez and one from UTEP and uh, a few other from the El Paso area to try their hand at the cover. And I found Gabriel Gaitan through my parents, actually. My parents said that they knew the Tapias on the same street in San Lorenzo, and their son-in-law was an artist. So I said, you know, why don't you go take a look at Gabriel's work? And so I did. So I went to Gabriel's house, and we were looking through different paintings in the garage of his house, and I saw this beautiful slide that he had, and I said, what is this? And I said, I thought it's such a beautiful picture, it's a sunset, and it looks very tropical, and it's a beautiful woman in the cover. And he said, oh, that's my mother when she was in her 20s. And the title of the painting is called Mi Jefita. And so I liked the whole aspect of sort of the warmth, kind of passionate picture of this beautiful Latina, Chicana on the book. And I sent it to the University of Arizona Press, and they loved it. And so that's how that cover got there. And I was very happy to give a local guy his shot. And any time I write a book and, you know, somebody wants a contract, I'm going to, whatever I can do, I'm going to try and help a local artist. Now, your book has been out uh, for how long now, Sergio? It, it was published in September 1999. You've gotten some rave reviews from some very well-known big shots in, in the publishing industry. That was, for me, the best reward. Because people that I read, like Rudolfo Anaya, Gary Soto, many of my heroes, read the book and really liked it. Rudolfo Naya and a committee he set up gave me the Premio Aslan for the book, which is for the best book by a new you know, Chicano writer. And so getting the nod from your elders, I think for me was terrific because, I mean, it was sort of astonishing meeting people like Anaya and Gary Soto and Denise Chavez, who I think is terrific, becoming sort of friends with them. I, you know, I can't really say I, I'm friends with them because I don't even feel that comfortable. <laughs> you know, I still feel a little in awe of people like Denise Chavez and Rudolfo Naya. But they've been terrific to me. They read the book and they liked it. And I was glad to get the Premio Aslan from Anaya. And I owe a lot to him. You know, as a writer, when I was a kid, you know, I would read Bless Me Ultima and I loved it. And so I felt this is the guy writing about where I'm from. So I'm, you know, I'm very happy that, uh, you know, my elders liked it. People who are interested in finding out more about the book, purchasing it, reading it themselves, where can they find it? They can find it at the Barnes & Noble on the west side or the one on the east side and under my name, Sergio Troncoso, or The Last Tortilla and other stories. You can also order it if you want from Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. And you have a website also? I just set up a website at www.sergiotroncoso.com. I'm the only uh, Troncoso on Yahoo. For example, you can type in my name, Sergio Troncoso, and, and you get to my website. And I have reviews of the book. I have a little bio. I have essays that I've written, for example, an essay called Beyond Aslan, Chicanos in the Ivy League. And I also put up stories for people to read. You know, I, I believe that if you're a high schooler or a grade schooler from somewhere in El Paso or, or South Texas or wherever, that you should be able to read some of my stories for free, that you don't have to buy the book. So I'm a, a big believer in that, and I love the Internet for that. I get email from Egypt, Brazil. I just got an email from Thailand. Somebody was using my story in a Thai course on American literature. And for me, that's the best, a direct contact with the reader. Some guy from Brazil wrote to me, and he said, you know, I read Angie Luna, which is the first story in the, in the book. He said, you know, I, I was going out with this woman from a different province, and I, I fell in love with her, and I kind of could identify with the character, Victor, in Angie Luna, how he wasn't sure where he belonged after he fell in love with this woman. So, you know, that sense of the story resonating beyond 
the Southwest to some guy from Brazil, I think is terrific, and that he could find it on the web and read it and, and get something out of it, I think is terrific. And Sergio, we'd like to thank you very much for taking the time to be with us here. And I'm sure uh, the rest of the city and Isleta is very proud of you. And again, if you need additional information, you can go to the Barnes & Nobles, uh, Amazon.com or uh, www.sergiotroncoso.com. Sergio is the author of The Last Tortilla and Other Stories. Thank you for being with us. Thank you very much. Perspectives is taped and produced at the KTEP Studios, University of Texas at El Paso Communication Building. Our thanks to our engineer, Margie Montes. Our producers are Margie Montes and Cristina Valderrama. You've been tuned to Perspectives. I'm Dewey Sines. <laughs>